today on The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. I remember something that a preacher said years ago. Our blessings in America have become our curses. We have so much stuff, houses, cars, finances, people going vacations, we eat in nice restaurants. And basically what's happened is that's replaced God. We don't need God. Welcome to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Dr. Camp has survived a life of drug and alcohol abuse and incarceration. Since giving his life to Christ, he has been a pastor, evangelist, author, college professor, and dean of students. He has also been a program guest with the Billy Graham Crusade. Dr. Camp's unique blend of life experiences have given him a powerful, relevant ministry to reach the unreachable with the message of Christ. Now, let's listen as Dr. Camp starts the conversation with evangelist Dr. Bill Britt. Good morning. You're listening to The Conversation. This is Scott Camp, and my in-studio guest today is evangelist, missionary revivalist, Dr. Bill Britt. My dear, dear friend, great to see you, Bill. Hey, man, it's an honor to be with you, Scott. And, uh, man, we go way back, don't we? Way back, right here, Houghton, yeah. Louisiana, we met. I met, I was preaching a crusade at uh, Eastwood Baptist Church in Houghton. Yeah, there was uh, so many people coming to the Lord that night. Uh, I got in on some of the counseling and got to see some people saved. Bill, you've been uh, in full-time evangelism most of your ministry. Yeah, for 30 plus years. I don't think in my uh, memory, I'm 57, almost 57. I've never seen a time, certainly not in my adulthood, when our nation was so divided and uh, almost to the point of uh, the situation being dangerous, being frightening. We need revival. Well, as you and I both know, and many of our listeners know, that uh, the only hope for any nation is the Lord Jesus. And even back in the days of John and Charles Wesley, you know, it wasn't their navies and armies that saved their nation. It was revival. Bill, what is revival? Well, you know, Charles Finney said revival is a new beginning of obedience. You know, it's kind of a, the fresh wind of the Holy Spirit blowing in your life. It's it's repentance. It's a renewal, you know, of your heart. And get back to your first love, I think, you know. And, and Scott, I believe that we have so complicated this. You know, we're trying to figure out, well, do you do this? Is this the formula? You know, and, and we know that, uh, that God's the one that brings revival. But yet, uh, you know, we can't make the fire fall, but yet we can get the altar ready and the sacrifice ready. So I, I just believe that revival is... Uh, it's just a fresh obedience to the Lord. It's just repentance, brokenness before God, and, and just the fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. Is that preceded uh, most of the time in your experience where you've seen this happen in churches? I know you've seen God do some amazing things in churches and and in the lives of individual Christians. Is it typically preceded by some kind of a crisis or some sense of desperation? Well, it can be. You know, you've seen that. Uh, you go back to 9-11. I remember exactly. I was preaching in a small country church, and the service started at 7. I got there about 20 minutes to 7, and 
And not only was the church building filled, the altars were filled. And I was really hopeful that in the midst of a most unbelievable, horrific uh, crisis that we were going through, that God would use that to bring uh, revival. A national revival. Yes. And I even posed the question this past week when I was preaching in the revival. I said, why does it take a tragedy for us to get serious about you know, walking with the Lord. Why, why, why do we have to have these major wake-up calls? But it just seems, it that's, seems like that's the way it that's is. That's the way it is. And um, one, of my, one of the hopeful things I have in my heart right now for the United States is that most every time you see a great awakening or a spiritual awakening or a revival, it's in the darkest of times. And um, talk about that for a minute. You know, you're a product in some sense of the Jesus movement. Yeah, I was just sharing with uh, some of the folks here before we started that uh, I got saved back in the, you know, in uh, in the '70s, and there was just kind of an explosion. A Jesus, not only a Jesus movement, but a Jesus explosion, especially among young people. Yeah. And uh, in this area, in the Shreveport, Bossier area, I grew up in Houghton, um, it seemed like there were youth revivals. You remember those? Oh, everywhere. Friday, Saturday, Sunday youth revivals. And and not only were the young people of that, but we would just kind of migrate to what, you know, you just, they're having a youth revival. So, man, we'd all go. And, man, we were so hungry and praying and, and uh, you know, and, and of course, most of the revivals you read about started with young people. And uh, the schools integrated when I was in the seventh grade, and everybody thought, man, there was going to be riots in the schools, and there really wasn't. And, uh, you know, and we weren't concerned with race. We weren't concerned with, you know, is that preacher going to get the credit? Is, is that, you know, I mean, we were all preaching. We, you know, God called up several hours to preach, and, man, we just had a heart for Jesus. And, and out of that, you know, came a revival. You know, it was, um, it wasn't that we uh, said so we're going to do one, two, three, four. We just fell in love with Jesus. And, you know, and that's what we need now. I think about the political climate and the, and the cultural uh, milieu that was in play uh, when the Jesus movement broke out out in California, the late 60s. I mean, it's very similar. That was a very divided time. Cities were burning, literally. Uh, the chaos of the 68 the Democratic Convention in Chicago. Of course, we were in the Vietnam War, and we had a man in the White House who would later uh, resign in disgrace. And yet, in the midst of all that, the, the uh, integration of schools was going on at the same time. God poured out the Spirit. Yeah. And, you know, many people came to the Lord uh, during those days. And uh, But I will say this, you know, on the, on the other hand, you know, there's a lot of things we don't hear about that are happening, especially in the Muslim world. Well, I want us to talk about that because I know that your ministry and your burden is uh, larger than the United States. And as a matter of fact, now uh, you're spending half your time uh, in India or Kenya or Mexico or different ministries that you have around the world, what are you seeing God do globally? Well, um, you know, I, I remember a crusade we had uh, not too many years ago in the DR Congo. Um, 
and there was about 15,000 people every night in, in our crusade. And I remember one particular night, um, I was preaching, and the Holy Spirit said, don't let the women and the children come first. You know, you've been to Africa. You know, typically, when you do a crusade in Africa, the children will come, then the ladies, and then the men. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly and said, don't let the women or the children come. Tell the men they have to lead the way. Mm. And so uh, I did, and really I was I was kind of fearful because that's not their custom. That's not their... The typical, culture. The culture, yeah, there's, is the word. And so... Um, I told them, and seemed like 10 minutes is maybe 10 seconds, and here comes one man and then another, and I think over 1,500 men gave their lives to Christ. And wow. we're just seeing that, you know, and, and I remember something that a preacher said years ago. He said, our blessings in America have become our curses. We have so much stuff, houses, cars, uh, finances, you know, people go on vacations, we eat in nice restaurants, we and basically what's happened is that's replaced God. We don't need God. And uh, an African pastor was uh, interviewed recently and the man asked him, said, how can you see so much accomplished for the gospel with such little means? And he said, well, you Americans have buildings and budgets and programs. He said, all we have is the Holy Spirit. Hmm. And uh, uh, I made a statement here just recently that I read in a, in a book that a good friend of mine wrote, Dr. Scott Camp, that the Holy Spirit has become the Cinderella of the Godhead. And it just seems like in these third world nations, uh, the Holy Spirit is still welcomed when we've pushed the Holy Spirit away. And I don't understand why we've done this, Bill. Why do you think that we have, uh, that we have ignored the, the ministry and the person and the power of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think a lot of people are just afraid of the Holy Spirit, you know, because they don't understand who He is. You know, most people refer to the Holy Spirit as it. Or a power, or a force, and influence, and even some uh, so-called Pentecostal uh, people, or people who claim to be charismatic. Uh, I remember uh, a hero of ours, uh, Manly Beasley, said that uh, you know we could have our the typical service in any kind of an evangelical church, with or without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. We already have it all planned out, all programmed out. And this is true across the board, denominationally. Well, you know, uh, two, and of course this is just kind of, you know, a random thought, but um, one thing that I've been sharing with churches a lot lately, and I have through the years, but especially late, uh, as of late, we have our order of service, and we just, when the Holy Spirit moves in, we just blow right past it. We, the moment. Yeah, we don't stay there. We don't linger. You know, you read about revivals of, of yesteryear. People would linger when God would begin to move. You know, you read about the, the, the Welsh revival. Evan Roberts many times would show up but never preach. Never preach. Because people would sing spontaneously and testify and confess sin. And then they would wait on the, on the Holy Spirit to move. 
And we're seeing that in Africa and in India and, you know, even in Pakistan and places like that. Uh, uh, I, I brought my Bible because I, I wanted to read this if I had an opportunity. But uh, this is just amazing to me. Uh, Al Jazeera Network, which is a, a Muslim network, reports every hour in Africa, 667 Muslims are coming to Christ. You, this was on Al Jazeera yes. television network. Yes. Wow. Say that one more time, Bill. Every hour in Africa, 667 Muslims are coming to Jesus. Wow. 16,000 a day, 6 million a year. 40,000 people are being saved every day in China. That's their estimates. Hmm. In Africa, in 1900, there were 9 million Christians. Today, there's 470 million Christians. In Iran, since 1979, more Iranians have come to Jesus than the previous thousand years combined. Wow. So God is answering our prayers. I mean, uh, you know, from the United States, we've prayed for uh, great movements of God, for a great global harvest. And the Lord is answering our prayer. I just don't want the U.S. to be left behind. I, I don't want it to be like Europe is. You know, Europe was the seat of the Protestant Reformation, the Great Awakening, uh, all of these wonderful movements of God traditionally. And now less than 5% of the population in Europe claims to be born again. Much of it is atheist, agnostic, skepticism. I, don't, I see the danger of that. I'm praying for an awakening. I'm, I'm believing God for revival. I want to be a part of it. We see pockets of revival, but we're one generation away from being pagan. Yeah, we really are. And, you know, uh, here's, here's what I'm seeing in the United States. There's pockets of revival. You see that. You go to a, a city to do a crusade or a local church revival, and uh, you see a lot of people saved, and but not just people saved. You see a real sense of God, a real move of the Holy Spirit, because you and I both know you can have a great harvest event and not have revival. Right. And uh, I think it was Vance Havner that said, if you take a bunch of newborn babes in Christ and put them in a dead church, that's like putting a newborn baby in the arms of a dead mother. Hmm. You know, and you don't you don't hatch uh, chicks in the in the freezer. You do that in an incubator, and you know there there's some spots around the country where I've been that uh, you know that that God's really moving. But I, I'm afraid that even some of our spiritual leaders have become fatalist in the sense they well it's the end of time and you know revival's over. Very and, pessimistic yeah. about. And uh, I just don't I don't I don't believe that. I don't either. You know, I, I still read the book of Acts, and there's no period, there's no amen, and, and I believe the Holy Spirit's still as powerful as He ever was, and uh, I believe that, you know, a sovereign move of God could come into a city and overnight transform churches and people. I, I just believe that God can still do that. It seems like sometimes, Bill, that, uh, and this is true historically as well, uh, Christians can become very fervent over political causes. And, and I think we should be engaged. We should be involved. We're, we're citizens of two countries. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a, 
a, a kingdom of God that is here and coming and, and going to be consummated. That's our primary citizenship. But we have responsibility uh, as U.S. citizens. But it, it just seems like that the fervor and the heat sometimes that's generated over political candidates and issues far outweighs our passion for God, yeah. God's word for holiness. You've always preached a message of holiness that's characterized your ministry among God's people. Talk to us about that. Well, um, you know, in, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah said we have to make the, the high places low and the low places high and the crooked places straight and the rough places smooth. You know, when the king would come into a city, they would do that. They would make the road, the passageway, straight and smooth for the king to come. And, uh, you know, even in my own life, there's been times that I've had to come into deep brokenness over my own sin, mm. you know, and ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse me and to fill me again. Uh, and there's, I believe, Scott, that in our, in our, in the church climate today, the people are so impassioned with their political viewpoints and even their sports teams. You know, when I go into a place to preach now, I say, Lord, whoever they're pulling for Saturday, let their college team win because they'll be so depressed on Sunday we can't. Have. It literally affects the mood of the people, especially if it's a college town. And it's, a, it's polit, uh, politics and sports and have overtaken even our Sunday services. You know, it's more of a political rally or, or you know, talking about who won the game. And so you can talk about the resurrection and you might get a few amens, <laughs> but if you say so-and-so beat so-and-so, yeah. then there's they a great crazy. applause. Yeah. And even though that might be humorous, on the surface, it shows a real deep issue and problem. And, and I, I told the church this past week where I preached, and we had a great move of the Lord. Um, I said, why is it we can be in a service like this, walk out in the parking lot in three minutes? We have no sense of what God just did. Because we moved right to, did you kill a deer? Did you catch a fish? Did, did your team win? You know, what do you think about what's going on in the political world? And we, and we just, we don't go home and open our Bibles and say, Lord keeps speaking to me, and we don't get our families around and pray. And and um, you know when you when you think about the Welsh revival, the the revival in the Hebrides Islands, it really it was birthed in the heart of just one person. And these weren't superstar celebrity preachers. No, oh, I mean Flory Evans was a teenage girl, and she got up in a youth meeting before the church service was going to start. And she just said, I love Jesus with all my heart. And she said it was such passion and such a sense of God on her life that when the adults got to the service, they were, revival had already broken out. And then in the Hebrides revival, the Smith sisters would get up at 10 at night, pray to 3 in the morning. And, and really the, the, the sister that God really used the most was a blind woman. He's an 84-year-old blind woman. And when Duncan Campbell got there, this woman was the one that God used to even get Duncan Campbell to come in there and preach through prayer. And we don't have that, uh, I guess, you know, let's boil it down. We don't, we don't have prayer meetings anymore. 
Man, you and I used to get together and pray all night. You know, we'd get our friends together and pray. What You know, what's happened to our churches? What What's happened to Grandma who had that piece of paper that was coffee-stained and tear-stained and torn and taped? A prayer list. And she'd get up at the end of a revival, and she'd say, Glory to God, three people on my prayer list got saved tonight. Yeah. And with tears flowing down her face. Yeah. We've lost that. Bill, our generation, you know, was very uh, much a part, I think, uh, from the mid to the late 80s in seeing some methodological changes made in the church. You know, we went from having pews to having chairs, from having songbooks to having screens, on and on and on and on, piano and organ to having a band. A lot of these things are wonderful. They're, they're wonderful. And they're just part of what's been happening in the church historically. But sometimes I, I think that we've gotten this, uh, this church thing down to marketing and entertainment and the bells and whistles and lights and the show. Everything is programmed. Everything is down to the minute. But there's no power. There's no. no, there's no power. Well, so, and some churches are not even giving people an opportunity to even respond to the gospel. Yeah, and and these might be uh, charismatic churches or Calvinistic churches or everything in between, but there's no life transforming power. Does that disturb you? It does disturb me. Um, and here, here's been my my mantra or whatever for years you have a you have a, a fog machine you have screens you have a band but is the holy spirit there mm. you got hymn books an organ and a piano but is the holy spirit there i don't i don't care if you sing three hymns and the doxology if the holy ghost of god falls if the spirit of god is welcomed into that you know you're exactly right. We have replaced the Holy Spirit with five steps to victory and five steps to church growth. And you, you don't need the Holy Spirit to do that. Now, I'm all for planning and, you know, I mean, plan. Our, our responsibility. Yes. We should do our part. Yeah, pastors ought to be prepared to preach. The service ought to have some semblance of an order, you know. But again, what we said earlier, we leave no room for a divine interruption of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, Bill, it's just another meeting. Yes. And and I think about lost people, you know, whose lives are broken, their marriage is falling apart, they're addicted to drugs, or maybe they're on the other end of the socioeconomic scale. They got all the money in the world, got the nice cars, and they come into one of our meetings. And it's nice. It's very nice music and very nice message and very nice people. And they walk out saying, well, that was nice. But there's no power to transform their life. Well, let's, let's go back all the way to the upper room. What were they doing? They were in a prayer meeting. You just don't see any churches that have prayer meetings. You know, one of the future, and I know there's some out there, but one of the few churches I know anything about is Brooklyn Tabernacle. You know, when they had, they had the Tuesday night prayer meeting, and if you ask Jim Cimbala what is the key to what God has done at Brooklyn Tab, he would emphatically and instantly tell you the Tuesday night prayer meeting. 
where 1,500 to 3,000 people come and pray and cry out to God. All they do is pray. All they do. They may, they may have a little devotion, a song or two, but, but the emphasis is prayer. And, uh, you know, we don't pray. And, and, and I don't know how to have the power of God. I don't know how to uh, invite the Holy Spirit to come be what if you don't pray. And, you know, prayer is, is work. And the devil hates prayer, you know that. And uh, you know, I, don't, I really don't. You know, we can read the Bible, and that's wonderful, and we need to because that's where we learn about the Lord, and we learn how to grow and walk in the Lord. But uh, if you're not mixing that with prayer, you know, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Prayer invites God into the situation. That's what Brother Manley used to say. Lord, we don't know how to see people's lives change. We don't know how to see a nation turned around. We don't, we've, we've exhausted ourselves. We're at the end of ourselves. Yeah. God do something. That's, that's my cry. Bro. Yeah. That's, that's the key, uh, in my life, your life in a corporate setting of our churches. And, uh, that's one thing, you know, that you see in, in, in Africa and, uh, in, in Asia, a lot of these pastors, they spend hours and hours in prayer. And, and I, I would say this, you know, Scott, that uh, uh, one thing that I think needs to desperately change is the uh, unbelievable uh, burden we put on pastors to do what they cannot, only God can do. Yeah. And we don't give them the time to pray and to be in the word like they in a lot of churches. Yeah, well it's almost like we're hiring a CEO to turn a company around, we're hiring a football coach to turn the team around. So the church is struggling, we say this guy's our answer and then if something doesn't happen in a year or two, we just say well we need another yeah, employee. What would happen though uh if folks started coming to to pray? Because you know, you can have a man I grew up here in this area. You can have a fish fry, a barbecue, you know, and fill up a fellowship hall in a church. But you have a prayer meeting, and you, you meet in the pastor's study. Yeah, you know, because we've we've gotten away from, you know, when you read the book of Acts, everything those those men and women were doing, it seems like we're not doing. Hmm. And it was very simple what they were doing. You know, and and if there's any evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's being bold and sharing the gospel. Yeah. And Billy Graham's organization says only one out of a hundred so-called Christians in America ever share the gospel or ever win a soul to Christ. Yeah. And it goes back to what you're saying. We hire a pastor and a staff to do our job, and we sit on the pew, we put a couple of bucks in the plate to be sure they're doing their job. and when it's a, it's, it takes the whole body of Christ. You know, I, I posed a question to the to churches here recently, you know, like in August, now September. I said, what if everybody, I said, just not the members, not all the members, just everybody that's here tonight would really get a burden to pray, get your family to start praying, church start praying, and every one of us would lead just one person to Jesus between now and Christmas, walk them down the aisle, see them get into the waters of our baptistries, what that would do to your church. It'd revolutionize it. It'd be revival. And that's what they did in Acts. You know, one guy said, 
Jesus' ministry on earth was going from one prayer meeting to the next, obeying the Father in between. In between. Amen. Is it too late for us in America, Bill? Not as long as God's alive. Amen. <laughs> Thank you for your consistency in your life. You and Wendy have been married for how long now? 38 years. Isn't that amazing? Six grandkids. Wow. And we've been dear friends. And I want to thank you for your friendship, for your uh, obedience to go where the Lord's called you to go, whether it's in a stadium in front of thousands and thousands of people or in a little village somewhere. It's all the same. Yeah. It's just obeying what God's called you to do. Thank you for your focus on uh, revival and evangelism in America. And uh, we love you. Well, thank you for having me. It's always a joy to see you. This is The Conversation with Scott Camp. You've been listening to uh, my dear friend, evangelist, revivalist, missionary, Dr. Bill Britt. And uh, we're going to have some information at the end of the program that will enable you to be able to participate and partner with Bill as he takes the gospel around the world. And I encourage all of our listeners to do that. This is good ground and you can be a part of a great harvest and what we're believing for a great revival in these days, difficult days, pray for our country, pray for, don't pray for your political candidate or your political party, pray for God to send revival. That's the ultimate answer. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Join us again in the morning and we'll talk. You have been listening to the conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Today's guest was evangelist Dr. Bill Britt. For more information, go to compeloutreach.org. To get a copy of Dr. Camp's book, A Primer on Power, or to partner with Dr. Camp, you can go to scottcamp.org. Thank you for listening to The Conversation with Dr. Scott Camp. Please tune in again tomorrow morning at 730 for a new conversation. 